Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Good and gracious God, we ask that your spirit have it speak to us this day. Open our eyes to your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you, our God and King. Amen. I was speaking to a dear friend of mine many years ago. She and I both were on staff. Her name was Donna Hepner. Uh, she was uh, a preschool director, uh, and I was working as a youth um, pastor at this church. And we were talking about um, events that shaped our life uh, and news that we have received in certain times where it really put, it just reshaped the way we looked at it. And she, I remember her telling me this story. She said, Johnson, I remember the day when my mom told me that President Kennedy had passed away. And she went on to say that I remember I was in the kitchen that day. My mom walked in and she broke the news. And then she went and sat on the, near the kitchen table. And the entire house, there was a sense of silence. No one said anything because there was this sense of enormity that we were trying to process what we had just heard. That was Donna telling me. And even as I was hearing this story, for the first time, I could feel her emotions. I could kind of picture how her house would have looked and what the tone of that house was. We we're having a similar conversation at a Bible study, and Victor Crow, who sits in the back there, he started to tell this story. He said, I was on my way to the hardware store. I know, your mommy's right there, it's okay. All right, and this is what Victor Crow said. I'm going to go back to my story. Anyway, uh, Victor Crow said, I was on my way to the hardware store, and that's when it happened. He said, I was working as a trustee, and we decided to put new fans um, in Haberset Hall. And it was my job to go and buy fans. So I was on my way to the, to the hardware store to buy ceiling fans. And that's when it happened. That's when the first flight hit one of the towers. And he remembers it to this day. And for me, 9-11, I was living in Pittsburgh. It was a Tuesday morning. And I was in a computer lab because back then you didn't have your own computer. You know, you had to share with a bunch of other people. So first thing in the morning, I would run in to grab my station so that I could do some work. And I was there trying to do my work and get ready to go to a class. And one of my friends who was sitting in front of me said, there's been an attack. I was like, what do you mean there's been an attack? And he said, there's been an attack. And that's when we all paused and we didn't know what was happening. And we all, from that computer lab, ushered into one of the lounges that was there. It was the only TV on campus. And we all rushed in to see what was happening. And we watched to our horror what was unfolding. The sent shockwaves through our system. The image that stands out with me is not so much the morning of 9-11, but that night. I used to live in East Liberty area. It's, it's in the inner city of Pittsburgh. I went out that night and it was quiet. There was no traffic. There was no one blowing horns or anything like that. The whole streets were completely quiet. And then you looked up into the sky and that was empty. 
no traffic, no movement. And that night, there was a sense of emptiness that surrounded us. And we went to bed that night as a changed nation. You remember what you were doing as, we, as I am sharing these stories. You know what you were doing when these were taking place. And more recently, March 13th, 2020, when the entire world was shut down for two weeks, that we thought. So we're trying to figure out how to navigate the COVID-19 pandemic. Collective memories. Collective memories are markers in our lives where they become these touchstones, where these events have taken place when we were born and different things. But these collective memories have a, a spike or a bar in our life cycle. And we look at them. And when we remember those events, there is there is a memory that's associated to it, and there is a feeling that's associated with it. We can trace back to that. We can go back to that day, and we can imagine what all took place and how our lives have changed since then. These markers are huge in our lives as a community and as a nation. There might be other instances in your own life that might spike a little bit, that would be a little higher than anything else. It's not, probably it's not published in any newspaper article or a news cycle. Maybe it didn't receive any coverage, but you know. You know how important and significant that particular event is in your own life. I was recently talking to a retired pastor who's been married for 50 years and he had recently celebrated his 50th wedding anniversary and he was telling me with this gleaming face, he said, Johnson, we celebrated our 50th anniversary at the exact same place where me and my wife met, where I fell in love. See, that meter is high, right? The day that you met the love of your life, the day that you welcomed a child into your life. These are all events that have a spike on it where we think about them, that they have shaped us. Friends, this morning I, want, I don't want to talk about not just the negative ones, but the positive ones. But what I want to speak to this morning is I want to talk about your spiritual experiences that you might have encountered. The spiritual experiences that each one of us might have encountered in our own life. Where you knew that God was present with you in that moment. You knew 100% that God was there. That God's presence was made clear to you. I want us to focus on that. Maybe it's a time in your life when you felt distant from God. And all of a sudden, God showed up. Maybe it was a season in your life that it were, things were very difficult. Maybe God showed up. For some of us, these moments, these mountaintop experiences could be pretty dramatic. And for others, it could just be a simple conversation with a friend. It could be simply as someone putting their arm around you and saying, I love you. God's going to see you through this. These are the experiences I want us to hold today. 
I want you to think about these experiences, these mountaintop experiences where you felt God's presence in a unique way. I want you to hold these presence as we look at the scripture, as we look at the scripture from Genesis chapter 28, where we hear the story of Jacob. This is how the story starts in Genesis 28. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there because the sun had been set. Taking one of the stones off the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. When we read these words, one of the things that becomes obvious is the fact that Jacob is leaving some place and is going to another place. What is Jacob leaving? I want to quickly tell this story to you, and I'll come back to this story in a couple of weeks here. But this story starts with a dysfunctional family. The story is about a dysfunctional family um, that Jacob belonged to. Jacob was a twin of Esau, and his parents were Rebekah and Isaac. And as parents, you're not supposed to have favorites, but Rebekah clearly had a favorite, and that was Jacob. And Jacob deceived his brother and stole his birthright from his brother, took the birthright away from his brother. And then later, Rebekah and Jacob schemed together to trick Isaac into giving the blessings away. That's where Jacob is running away from and is going to a new land. See, when we listen to the characteristics of Jacob as to what he did up until this point, he is not an ideal candidate to have a spiritual encounter. He's on the run, he's a deceiver, and he is not a good person. And we read just like that, that he had a spiritual encounter at that place. Friends, it's true in our lives as well. We might not be the ideal candidate to have a spiritual encounter, but yet God shows up in our lives. Yet God shows up in our lives even when our lives are not ideal. It is not that we need to prepare ourselves to encounter the presence of God. No, God shows up. The reason God shows up is because who God is is not because of what you've done or not done. That is the beauty of the God that we worship. So Jacob came to that place. Jacob came to that place to receive a revelation from God. And this was beautiful. The revelation that Jacob had was absolutely amazing. Jacob fell asleep in that place. He was just laying down. And there he saw a dream. He saw a dream of a ladder being lifted up from the earth into the sky and there were angels descending and ascending and going back and forth. See, I don't even think Jacob could comprehend the meaning of this dream because as Christians, we see this dream in a completely new light, in a completely different light. See, in Genesis chapter 3, we read that the union between God and humanity was broken because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And here, 
Jacob is dreaming that this union between God and humanity is coming back together. And we know how that was made possible. It was made possible through Jesus, who was God incarnate and who restored the relationship that was broken because of sin. That was what Jacob was dreaming about. And he didn't even know what that dream fully meant. God, at this point, reveals himself to Jacob and he reminds him who he is. That he is the God of Abraham and Isaac. And he gives Jacob two promises that he gave Abraham. See, in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is called out of nowhere. He's living in a land called Uz. There is nothing known about this man named Abraham, and he's called out by this God, this unnamed God. And this unnamed God, his name is Yahweh, the living God. He gives Abraham two promises. He says, if you follow me, if you do what I'm asking you to do, Abraham, I will give you two promises. I will give you land. This land I will give you. I will give this land to you, and I will give you a nation. I will give you children. And the same promise is given to Jacob again this day. And then we read that because of Jacob, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And again, as Christians, we read that knowing that it was Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the lineage up to David that Jesus Christ came into this world to be a blessing to the entire known world. That is what we hold on to. That is the blessing that was being spoken of on that day. But hear this truth about this spiritual encounter that Jacob is having, and I think there is a promise here that is given to Jacob, and I think there is a promise here given to each one of us. Hear this promise. For any one of us who have had those spiritual experiences where we have had those encounters with God, here is this promise that is given to you, each one of us that was first given to Jacob. And I'm telling you, it is given to you this day. I hope you can hang on to it. Hear this promise from verse 15. Behold, I am with you. This is the promise to you. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. You will not leave until I have done what I have promised you. This is a promise given to each one of us who's had those spiritual encounters where we have experienced God. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, for you will not leave until I have done what I have promised you. No matter what, no matter where you go, God is looking at you and saying, I am not done with you. I love this last part of this promise. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Friends, no matter what, God is not going to give up on us. No matter what, God is not going to give up on us until he finishes what he promised. Your life is not going to be incomplete. God is going to shape it and work with it and, and will accomplish whatever God intended for your life to be. 
that is the promise given to each one of us. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Friends, God is working in your life and in my life. And God will accomplish his promises. After this encounter is over, Jacob wakes up from his dream and recognizes that indeed God himself has met him. And he names that place where he was sleeping, Bethel, meaning the house of God where he encountered the living God. And in that place, he places a stone and he pours oil on that stone. And he makes that a sacred space. One of the things that we as Protestants, um, we don't have places uh, that are relics anymore. We don't hold them to be true because we believe that God is present everywhere, that anywhere we are, we teach this to our children. No matter where you are, you can pray and seek God's presence. That is true and that is part of our theology. But this morning, I want us to consider the sacred spaces where you have encountered God. Maybe you had God speaking to you in a car ride, or maybe it was at this church, or maybe it was somewhere else. Friends, I want you to hold those sacred places, and I want you to think about how you felt in those moments when God's Spirit was real to you. Let's not be quick to forget those moments. Let's create a Bethel. Let's clear a place of memory for those sacred spaces so that those spaces, those memories become a touchstone for us so that we can look at them and say, I remember when God spoke to me. I remember when God ministered to me in my time of need. I'm not suggesting that we build shrines, but I'm suggesting that we hold those spaces dear to us and remember those places that we pause and reflect how God ministered to us. May those spaces be something that you would think of today. May you hold those spaces in your hands today. May you remember how God spoke to you. May you remember how God ministered to you in your time of need and remember this promise as you're thinking about how God cared for you. Remember this promise for I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Hold on to that promise. Here's another thing that happens when we do have those spiritual experiences where we witness God's presence in our life in a powerful way. You know what happens the next day? Life happens. And we move on from that. And that's exactly what happened to Jacob. Verse 18, so early in the morning, Jacob woke up, took a stone, poured, put under his head and set it up as a pillar, poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel. And guess what he did? He kept traveling. He kept moving on. And that is true for us as well. Yes, we have these moments where God speaks to us. The reality of God's presence becomes clear in our lives. And yet, the next day, 
we are called to travel on, to move on. Romans 8 um, teaches us how we are called to live after those spiritual experiences. How we are called to live and move during after the spiritual experience that we have encountered. Romans 8 starts out with reminding us that we are children of God. In the book of Romans, Paul is teaching to the church uh, of Rome and telling them that they are children of God. And we need to behave a certain way in order to be called the children of God. Paul, throughout the book of Romans, starting from chapter 1 all the way through, he's telling them, what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ. He's saying to them over and over again, you need to be a little different. So this is what was happening in the Roman church. In the Roman church, people would go to a Roman temple and they would worship Caesar. And they would sing praises to Caesar. And they would say, Caesar is wonderful and great. And then they would walk by to another gathering that was called the church where Christians met and then they would begin to worship Jesus Christ there in those settings as well and Paul is saying you can't do that you can't worship a Roman God and also worship Jesus your behavior needs to be different Dr. Bauman says when you worship the Roman God you're living by the flesh that means there is suffering verse 18 Verse 21, there is decay. Verse 22, there is pain. That is the result of worshiping, following the flesh, worshiping the Roman gods. But when you live in the spirit, your life is going to be different. You are called the children of God. Friends, we need to reflect on what it means to be called the children of God. We are called to live a different life every single day every single day we are called to be a little different in how we operate how we behave how we think how we talk we are God's children and our actions need to reflect such this morning we celebrated the baptism of Bruno as the United Methodist Church, we believe that in baptism we are adopted into God's family. This language from Romans 18 shapes our understanding of baptism. That we are called the children of God. That we are called the heirs of God. That is who we are. And I'm sure Jessica and David uh, do this often. And I'm sure the family that's around him would do it. Whenever Bruno does something, one of the things that you say is, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're just like your mother. Don't you say that? Right. You've said that, aunts and uncles. Oh my gosh, he did it just like his dad. Right. right. We celebrate that. We share with one another. Look, 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 look how he rolls his eyes when he's irritated. That's just like his dad. Right? We celebrate that. We celebrate those moments. And friends, today we're reminded from Romans 2, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We say through the waters of baptism by confessing Jesus Christ as our God, that God is our parent. We cry out, Abba, Father. Those around us, when they look at us, are they saying, look, look how she acts. Look how he talks. It reminds me of the God he serves. That is our challenge. That is how we are called to live. Yes, we have these spiritual experiences, but when we have them, we're given these incredible promises. And friends, we're called to act a certain way, that we are called to reflect the God we worship.